Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey friends, today you're going to meet my friend Sophia in a deep and wide-ranging conversation that follows her journey from a decade-plus hard lockdown of her own sexuality to a recent postmenopausal reawakening of her sexual self, which she calls her goddess. You might already be able to tell, Sophia experiences her sexuality as deeply intertwined with spirituality. I found that aspect of our conversation particularly fascinating because there was a time in my life when I was all in on woo. I sought out mystics and healers and was even a fairly well-regarded teacher in my own right in some New Age circles. But around the time of my sexual awakening, a lot of that fell to the side. With no intent of trying to make this happen, now I find myself surrounded by a lot of skeptics, and that feels good to me right now. Which means Sophia and I have moved in completely opposite directions. For me, rediscovery of my sexuality brought me more into the physical, secular realm. For Sophia, rediscovery of her body brought her in closer contact with spirituality and the divine. And of course, every experience is valid, and I'm so grateful that Sophia is willing to share hers. Sophia is a 56-year-old cisgender female. She describes herself as white, lesbian, and married. After a lifetime of monogamy, she recently came out to herself as polyamorous. She grew up in the Roman Catholic Church and is now a pastor in the United Church of Christ. She's postmenopausal and describes her body as thick and creamy. I'm so pleased to introduce Sophia. Sophia, I am so excited that you're here um, so that listeners know you and I are friends. Uh, we've yes. known each other for, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years, something, some long amount of time. And you have been going through a bunch of changes recently, which yes. is really exciting because I get emails from people saying, my favorite guests are the ones who are sort of in the messy middle. Oh. And you are very much in the messy middle right now. <laughs> yep. I think I could be a candidate for favorite at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's dive right in. Uh, you listen to the show, so you know my first question is always, 
What is your first memory of sexual pleasure? So there's kind of two answers to this. Answer number one is my first kind of real remembrance is um, a favorite pillow that Mm -hmm. an aunt had made me. Mm-hmm. It's a TV pillow, you know, big, really fluffy, and it was made of fake leopard skin. I remember one day laying on it watching TV and kind of like shifted and then like shifted again and started noticing that that shifting felt really good between my <laughs> legs. Yeah. So I kept shifting. <laughs> <laughs> that was how I first learned to masturbate. How old were you approximately, do you think? Seven or eight, I would say, yeah. at that time when I was just doing the noticing. Yeah. And did you at some point come to something that you would now recognize as an orgasm? Or was it just the, ooh, that feels fun? I don't think so. I think it was just the, that feels really good. And so let's keep doing it because yeah. it feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you had two memories come up. So what's the other one? <sighs> So the other one isn't really a a memory per se, but I've been doing a lot of work around my sexual trauma and kind of uncovered for me what I believe is a memory of sexual trauma. I believe that my childhood sexual trauma happened before I was really verbal and able to understand what was happening. Mm. And I believe that it involved taking advantage of the fact that children are very oral. Mm -hmm. So... um, Shifting something for me that should have been about nurturing and pleasure to something that was trauma related. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be completely vague, but I, I'm still kind of unraveling all that and unpacking yeah. all that. So I say that because I feel like that's something that might have been a moment of really enveloping and connecting to pleasure and care that kind of got skewed. Mm. and no more than skewed kind of got robbed from me. Yeah. So that's why I, so I say both. I'm curious about this idea of recovering pre-verbal memories. Mm. What type of process are you going through to get there? A lot of stuff has come up in dreams actually for me. And I know that's not a, for some people that's not uh, considered concrete information. But I don't believe that at all. Mm-hmm. So I've had some things reveal themselves in dreams. And then, unfortunately, some things that come up because I got triggered as an adult. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a process of both. Mm-hmm. I had a period in my life when I was doing some really, really deep dive, intense work around my sexual trauma. And the veil was very thin. And by that, I mean, like, there were worlds that were connecting I was having dreams that were felt to me like they were memories of past lives, like Mm -hmm. things were on a spiritual level, the veil was really thin. So I got a lot of information then that I feel like I'm kind of more ready. I have more of the capacity to kind of unpack now. Mm. So a couple of times now you've mentioned sexual trauma in a way that sounds like it's more than just this preverbal memory. So I'm not going to push you to talk about more than you want to. I'll just open the door and say, what would you like to talk about? You know, my adult sexual trauma was um, in both instances at the hands of a woman. Mm. 
And that puts me in a different place, I think, than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It makes me sometimes unrecognizable as a survivor mm-hmm. in some circles. Yeah. And that has been pretty difficult. It has also kind of kept me from honoring and recognizing myself as a survivor for many years, too, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had my first girlfriend, my first relationship, there was some trauma around penetration that is still like really vivid for me right now and Mm -hmm. something I'm actively working on. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm getting ready to do work with a sexological body worker specifically around that particular piece. Great. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I imagine since that's part of your more adult history, we'll get there in the timeline. Um, Is there anything from like, is there sexual trauma in your childhood that we should know about before we go through? Not, not that I know of, like, I think it's pre-verbal and then I think it's adult. I haven't connected to anything. I think I, my childhood in terms of sexuality was pretty normal, like, you know, exploring Playing doctor, you know, those yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> so did you play doctor with little boys or with other little girls? Both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both, but um, there seemed to be a partiality to the little girls for some uh-huh. reason. <laughs> for some reason. For some reason. Unknown. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point did you recognize, oh, I... I think I kind of might like the little girls in the way that <laughs> other little girls are like in the little boys. Um, that was much later <laughs> yeah. in my life. I always just felt more connected to girls, to other girls and women, like always just the romantic inclinations were there. As long as I can remember, I was constantly having crushes mm. on other female bodied individuals starting from like, you know, my babysitter to, I mean, you name it. I, I was pretty good at crushing, (laughs) but it really wasn't until high school when I was like, Oh, Oh, (laughs) actually it wasn't until I had my first kiss with my best friend who was another girl that I was like, Oh, Oh, this is what they're talking about. This is what all the like giggles in the corner (laughs) were about. Had you kissed boys before that? Yeah, I'd had I'd had a, you know, a little peck. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> or two. <laughs> but no fireworks. <laughs> no, no fireworks. And then, you know, I was in high school when my first girlfriend and I got together and I had I had dated boys and it was fine, you know, and it done some exploring sexually with them, but I'm what's referred to as a gold star lesbian because I've never had intercourse with a man. So, (laughs) Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for people who aren't familiar with this nomenclature. (laughs) Go ahead, break it down, Leah. (laughs) There's the gold star lesbian, which is someone who's never... Well, actually, I guess it goes the other direction. There's gold star gay men who've never had sex with a vagina. And then there's platinum star gay men who were born by C-section. So they've never encountered their mother's vagina either. (laughs) The whole thing is really quite disgusting. (laughs) 
that one before, but oh my God. <laughs> and and misogynistic. Yes. Wicked. So I, I think that I have sort of like that oh, when I hear even the term gold star lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Understood. <laughs> okay. Moving on. All right. <laughs> Next. <laughs> um so you had dated a few boys. How old were you when that started? My first, I would call serious boyfriend was in junior high school. Okay. I was, I was, I'm going to say seventh or eighth grade. He was like a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. He was the brother of one of my best girlfriends. So is that kind of how you ended up in each other's orbit and got to know each other? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was serious. He gave me his high school ring. Ooh. Used to wear (laughs) around my neck. And did you have those kind of romantic, crushing feelings for him? I liked him. I I think I was was certainly curious about sex. Mm. And so that's who I was supposed to be curious about sex with, right? How convenient. He's right there. Yeah. but I don't remember ever feeling for him or any other boy or man the way I felt like the first time I kissed my best friend. Now, is that the sister of the first boy you dated? No, no. Oh, actually. Okay. <laughs> don't make this more complicated than it is. <laughs> That's later in my life. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then you kiss your best girlfriend. How old were you then? I was a sophomore in high school. And how did that come about? Her last name was right before mine in the alphabet. So in homeroom, she sat right in front of me. So that's Uh literally how we met because of our last names. And we just became really fast friends, really good friends. And like, you know, everything you imagine a high school best friend to be, you know, the person you talk about sex with and all the all the rest and um we were just hanging out in my room one day and she was getting ready to leave and went in for a hug which was pretty usual for us I know that I had started like noticing that I wanted to not leave that hug Mm. like not so soon like I was pretty happy just kind of staying there for a long time Uh I did start to notice that I think on some level, I, my body definitely, I noticed my body responding, but I didn't really know what was happening because I hadn't experienced that with boys before. So I was like, I don't really know what this is. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of broke apart from the hug and we're like, you know, when a kiss is like just right there, there it was. And we, next thing I know, we're like kissing each other and I'm freaking the hell out because it feels so damn good. And because, oh my God, I'm not supposed to be kissing my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> so it was mutual. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very. And what happened after the kiss? Months of wanting to see each other, wanting to be together. Because like, you know, it, that felt so good. Like, what is that? I want more of that. Let's figure that out, you know? And so seeing each other and then like a kiss happening again, or like, it just feel like, I think our bodies were just... My body was just like, whoo, responding all over the place and didn't know what the heck that was. And then getting really awkward and and kind of like 
making sure we weren't alone in a room together. Mm. Suddenly there was conversation about, you know, what boy we were going to take to the prom, you know, all that, you know, it was like all that trying to be normal Mm -hmm. um, in quotes, but all this stuff happening inside. Yeah. So it wasn't until our junior year was a whole year before anything more happened than a kiss. Did the two of you remain close friends trying to navigate this or did you sort of like separate some? No, we, we, we still managed because it was just like, ah, I don't want to be without you. Mm. And I love all the stuff that I'm feeling and you're my best friend, but also, oh my God, what the hell is happening right now? And this can't <laughs> be happening. This can't be happening. She was also Roman Catholic. So mm. we were, we had that on us and I was really involved in the church. Even in high school, I sang in the church choir. I taught religious ed to little kids. You know, my whole life I had been an Italian Catholic. I was really Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and all the baggage that comes with that and trying to navigate that in my own head and heart because the church had really been a a family for me. I had priests and nuns that were like aunts and uncles to me that used to come to my house. I mean, it was, I was in it. So trying to, on this side, I got all this feelings that are going on, all this fireworks, all this love Mm -hmm. going on. And then on the other side, I have this message that, oh no, 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 that's, that doesn't belong there. You're not supposed to, that's, that's wrong. That's bad. That's, you know, all the messages that you get, whether someone expressly gets in the pulpit and says you're a sinner and you're going to burn in hell. It's just in there. Yeah. It's in all the messaging. Yeah. So what about your parents? What relationship did you have with them? What conversations did you have with them around sex? Uh, none. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I got the obligatory book when I was uh, maybe in junior high school or something like the beginning of junior high school. And I was like, Oh, that was way too late. and you know it was focused predominantly on it was focused on the act of a penis going into a vagina to make a baby yeah like all those books were back then there was no conversation about pleasure there was no no conversation and nothing in the book so it was all a damn mystery to me Mm -hmm. the only information i had to go on was what i was feeling in my body Mm -hmm. you know which if i could have just stuck with that that would have been okay Yeah. 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 And we grew up in a time before there was any representation on television. So you couldn't even look there to, to understand that at least this is a thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So it was very, it was pretty scary actually, because I didn't understand what was happening. Mm. And all I had was these, these really loud messages coming at me and I pretty much backed away from the church. I didn't need, I didn't want to wait for the church to tell me to go to hell. I just slowly dropped away and stopped doing church choir, stopped teaching wow. religious ed. And it was really painful. It must have been because it sounds like that was such a huge part of your life. Did anybody else notice that something was going on? Um, I had one friend who is... Uh, the place that I found my place of refuge in high school was our high school music department. And I mean, that's the other thing too. The other thing that was happening in the world then it was AIDS was Mm -hmm. starting to emerge in the world. And although the focus and the attention was on gay men, 
I still can make the connection that, oh, that's part of my community. That would be part of my community. And therefore, I took on all those negative messages as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I had one friend who was part of the music department who also sang in the church choir who definitely did notice, like, what's going on with you? And and she became the first person I came out to. Wow. Yeah. And how... Like, if she's deeply involved in the church, yeah. how does that conversation go? How do you get up the courage to have that conversation? I was so desperate for somebody else to know that I was willing to risk it. She was actually really, really amazing. And I I don't know kind of how or why. I mean, we, we were pretty close in and we did talk about stuff like first time she had sex, I was the first phone call afterwards. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, she was amazing and really supportive and definitely instrumental in me kind of really embracing who I was and being brave enough to start to come out to more people, including my parents. Do you wish your partner would touch you differently, but you're not sure how to bring it up or what to say? I get it. Until a few years ago, I couldn't imagine asking for anything I wanted. I thought I wasn't allowed to have wants or needs. I thought good girls laid back and accepted what they got. I thought if I asked for something outside the regular repertoire, it would make my partner think that I was open for anything. And then they'd start pressuring me for extreme things I definitely didn't want. I built it up in my head to the point that it was hard for me to communicate at all during sex. Instead, I played the dead fish game, laying on my back and waiting for it to be over. Even those times when someone said, what do you want? I was so used to not speaking that I didn't know how to ask for anything. And I was pretty sure that they wanted an answer that could be done for like 30 seconds before they got on to whatever they wanted to do, which made it even more unappealing to build up the courage to ask for what I wanted. All of that changed when I started learning that I was allowed to have a voice during sex, that I wasn't doomed to a lifetime of whatever anyone else wanted to do to me just because I was born female can help you take the same journey to finding your voice because you deserve a deeply fulfilling intimate life and you can have it i would be honored to be your coach on the journey i am queer kinky and non-monogamy friendly to find out if we're a good match visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching Again, that's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching to book your free discovery call. And that link is in the episode description on the app you're listening in now. What happened when you came out to your parents? Um, So my parents were divorced by this time. And again, a little unusual. I was living with my dad Mm -hmm. and came out to my mom first because I had a sense that there would be a little bit more understanding Mm -hmm. and pretty much there was, there was the immediate, Oh, you know, you're young, honey. 
you, you know, you might not know yet, but you know, it's okay. If it's, it's okay, it'll be okay. You know, kind of uh, initial reaction. Um, my father, on the other hand, my father is, I'm first generation on my dad's side. So my dad came here from Italy in 1956. Mm-hmm. And although he is very much not the stereotypical machismo Italian man, he still got a lot of messages again, because he was brought up in the church. So I decided the way I was going to approach this is I bought him a copy of Loving Someone Gay, which was like the book back (laughs) in the day Uh that you gave to parents and friends to try to educate them on how they could support you. Mm -hmm. And in big dramatic fashion, I gave it to him on Christmas Eve. Oh, no. (laughs) Hey, Dad, Jesus is born and your daughter's gay. Yeah, not so good. But um, I gave him the book. That conversation didn't go so well. And I can look back now and understand that it was a lot about for him being worried about how the world was going to treat me was more underpinning his reaction than him loving me. But it was it was a big ask. Mm. It was a big ask for him. And so I left that conversation feeling like, hmm, mm. I don't know if this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And him very clearly telling me I was not to tell my brother. Ah. And my brother and I are four years apart. He's four years younger than I am. And that stuck for a long time. Like I was told I didn't tell my brother till he was 18. Mm. But flash forward years and years and years later, and my father remarries. And I, I think largely became more comfortable and more open about it because of my stepmother. I, you know, I think it's easier because I'm not her child. Right. So yeah. she can, but um, my brother and sister-in-law had borrowed a, a, pe- a piece of luggage from my dad to go on a trip. And my brother called me and he said, I got to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. And he said, I was using the bag to pack and I reached in the front compartment and there was this, copy of this book in there (laughs) and i'm like and with this really like sentimental mushy dedication to dad i'm like oh no really and he said yeah and so i asked him about it i said oh great what did he say he said he said he had been rereading it recently wow rereading it i didn't even know he had actually read it wow so there was stuff going on in the background that you were not aware of Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So did your dad ever meet your girlfriend as your girlfriend? Yes. And how did that go? Um, well, he knew her because she was my best friend and she was over all the time. And, you know, there are some benefits to being a lesbian when you're in high school because you have your girlfriend for over for a sleepover. And, exactly. You know, who knows the better? <laughs> um but unfortunately, when Dad got wise to that, that started to that started to <laughs> shift. Like the door needs to stay open. I'm like, ah, oh, damn! <laughs> I blew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, how did things go once you and this other young woman f- came back together and uh, allowed yourselves to be girlfriends? How did it go? At first, it was pretty amazing, like pretty mind-blowing. It was always scary, right? Because 
you know, I'm not supposed to be doing this. You know, first it was, you're not supposed to be doing this because you could get pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. now I'm not supposed to be doing this because it's a sin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I mean, they both are, but you know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> one was more focused on one thing than the other. Yeah. So, but it was so much feeling that I could just kind of like let myself be in it. And like this freedom to explore what that felt like was really like pretty amazing. Mm. First time touching her. I can still feel that in my body. So that was, that was pretty amazing to be able to just follow the feelings Mm. as much as I could without the cast of characters, you know, condemning me to hell the rest of my life. Yeah. How did you get to the moment where you were ready to say, okay, I'm going to do this with you? A lot of conversation, a lot of trying something, freaking out, (laughs) going away, (laughs) coming back again and going, okay, that felt really good. I really want to do that again, but I'm also really freaking out. There was like a lot of those conversations Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, you know, going pretty slowly, actually. Like I said, it was like a year's time between the kiss and like anything else happening. Mm -hmm. And then even after that, it was like, okay, waist up only. That's Mm -hmm. what I can handle right now. (laughs) Another good friend, another really good friend who, um, I had gone into a bookstore and there was one book that existed at the time about lesbian sex, one. And I happened to find it in a bookstore (laughs) and there was no way in hell I was going to buy it, but I really wanted it. So another really good friend went in and bought it for me. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And that was quite the eye opener because there was little lovely drawings in that and gave me all kinds of ideas that I hadn't thought of on my own. So um, that was quite helpful. (laughs) Yeah. So how long were you and this other girl together? Um, We were together through our first year of college. Okay. So a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So first admission, sophomore year and right through freshman year of college, she went to school in another state than I did. So it was, you know, long distance and taking trains, long train rides through New England to get to each other. Mm-hmm. But there was also like other stuff really kind of brewing before that. Like what? Um, so she had a pretty difficult family life and um, I think really struggled herself with a lot of like I can look back now and say really struggled herself with a lot of mental health issues. and likely sexual trauma herself. And so there was an incident between us that happened that I think was probably playing out some sexual trauma that happened to her. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's really present for me right now because it's what I'm working on. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to let you keep it in the recording, but I'm going to tell you. Okay. Um, she, um, decided that we didn't have access to like sex toys like you do now. Sure. And, um, so she had a screwdriver with a, like a big oversized screwdriver mm. and decided that, that, that she wanted to put the handle inside of me. Mm. And I did not want that to happen. It was really painful. That was the first time I was penetrated by anything. Mm. 
including, I mean, because I hadn't gone there myself yet, even. And I couldn't say no in that moment because I thought that's what I was supposed to want to do. Mm. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So that got lodged in my body and really carried that. I mean, I was terrified to go to my first OBGYN appointment because I was thoroughly convinced that the doctor was going to look inside of me and go, what the hell happened to you? Wow. Yeah. So, um, can I ask you a couple of questions about that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. When she first presented this idea to you, was there any sense of oh, maybe I'll try that? Or was it immediately a no in your body? I I think my brain was saying, you're supposed to want to try this. Of course. And my body was like, oh my God, no. Fuck no. So there was exactly, there was Mm -hmm. this like dichotomy that was happening. Mm -hmm. For me, the trauma piece is so intertwined, right? Because it's about taking something that is meant to give you pleasure and coercing it in mm-hmm. but th- your body still reacts i mean i i spent a bit of time working supporting survivors of domestic and sexual violence in my professional life and the number of times that i heard women who have survived sexual trauma say to me you know but my body was responding as if i was receiving pleasure yes and how that just wreaks havoc on it your is heart such a mind fuck Oh my God. And so, I mean, the first time somebody said that to me, you know, it's the the gift of you get the person in front of you that, that you need to get to help you on your journey. Right. The first time a woman said that to me, I was like, okay, I need to take a break because I'm just, I am one. I, I literally called somebody else in and said, can you, I need to, Mm -hmm. cause it just hit like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, right. That's what's going on. This was feeling good, even though this was abuse. Yeah. So that was the next question I wanted to ask you. How do you, what terminology do you use when you think about this for yourself? Do you think of it as abuse? Do you think of it as assault? Do you think of it as, you know, a consent violation? Where does it fall for you? It still falls. I still use the word rape. Yeah. Okay. And I can look at that and I can also look at it and say, yes, it was very definitely a consent violation when I didn't know that I had the option of consent. Yeah. Yeah. It's very complicated because it sounds like you were in a consensual loving relationship where something really scary happened. Yep. And you have to square for yourself. I love this person. She loves me. I think she, I mean, I'm going to guess that she probably didn't mean you any harm. No, I don't think so at all. But still, there was a great deal of harm. Yeah. When I look back on the relationship too, though, the other piece that was really present that that I need, I take into consideration, there was a really, there was a power dynamic happening there too, mm-hmm. that was really alive um, and eventually was, I think, part of what got me to be like, mm, can't do this anymore. There was a lot of kind of um, almost feelings of like ownership and jealousy um, coming from her end. Uh-huh. 
um, that just started to feel not okay. And so this kind of was a almost, this was almost like a manifestation of all that in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, just another piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So how long did the relationship last after this event? And how did the two of you navigate that? It lasted like almost a whole year after that mm-hmm. event. Um, that was like, that was the other thing. I think that was like, like the big, the last big thing we're going to do with each other before we go off to college. And of course that was playing in the background of my mind, but I was continuously trying to talk myself out of what I was feeling about it. Be- again, because it's somebody I love who loves me yeah. and I'm supposed to want to do stuff like that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it it took me a really long time to be able to step back and and it wasn't until I actually I had an internship working at an organization that supports survivors of domestic and sexual trauma in my junior uh, year of college I had an internship and they were one of the first places in the country that really worked with lesbian survivors Mm. of domestic violence Mm because that again that was something that wasn't recognized for a really long time as an issue and I remember going into the office one day and there was a piece of literature that was about rape between women Mm. and I just that was another like I gotta go yeah (laughs) I don't feel so good I gotta leave yeah there was both like being completely horrified by that and also like oh oh i get why i responded the way i did now mm-hmm. you know did the two of you ever have a conversation about it nope wow never 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 and she actually re-entered my life years later over a decade later we reconnected as friends and that didn't go so well. Not, I mean, I, we never talked about this. That didn't go so well because she was violating boundaries, all kinds of boundaries left and right that Mm -hmm. weren't okay. So I just, that was it. After that, I just ended the connection. So after that relationship, when you were involved with other women, did you have issues around penetration? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I did a really good job of dissociating enough that I could do it. Sure. But didn't feel it. Mm-hmm. There was no capacity in my mind for it to ever feel good. It was just something, again, that I did because I was supposed to want to do it. Yeah. And dissociation was is my my coping mechanism of choice. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's fun. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Oh God. Um, yeah, so much so that I, I mean, I think I managed to kind of come out of it, emerge out of it in moments in my life, but I've really unpacked lately how much I have really lived in that space of kind of not being present, certainly not being present in my body, certainly not being present in my body during sex mm-hmm. for the lot for, you know, again, not pervasively but like overall if i look at my sexual relationships i go oh hmm. i had moments of emerging right mm-hmm. but 
I know now that's because I didn't know how to be a lover to myself, really. Yeah. Well, so speaking of, were you masturbating through this whole time? Yeah. And were you able to bring yourself pleasure? Yes. Um, I had a lot of stuff about that, but yes, I, so that favorite pillow, (laughs) I nicknamed that favorite pillow girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that was for a long time. That was the way I knew how to masturbate and have an orgasm was rubbing up against that. And um, that was also really loaded because I wasn't masturbating like a real woman should. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I just keep layering it on. Mm-hmm. And um because let me just clarify yeah, what yeah. that meant for you. Does a real woman masturbate by penetrating herself? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, sure that's part of it, but by using her hands for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it was also loaded for me. That was another really big loaded piece due to my Catholic upbringing. I mean, it was literally every time I masturbated, I would cry afterwards because mm-hmm. I felt like I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I would promise I would never do it again. Mm-hmm. I promise God I'm never going to do this again. And of course, that wasn't true. <laughs> yeah. So um, I asked you if you were able to give yourself pleasure. Mm-hmm. And you talked about orgasms and pleasure and <laughs> orgasms are not necessarily the same thing. Yes. Thank you for noticing. Newsflash. <laughs> Took me a long time to figure that out. So were you able to bring yourself pleasure? Yes. Okay. Yes. And yes. Okay, good. And that's one I'm still working on untangling mm-hmm. right in the present moment right now. <laughs> as we sit here in this conversation. You and me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love how much you're joining me in all this, Leo. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is a path that so many of us have to walk. I mean, I started, I I don't know if I've ever said this to you before or not. I started calling my quote unquote orgasms genital sneezes because (laughs) because I was not having pleasure. I was having this physical release. But it was not really pleasurable. And afterward, it left me feeling kind of worse. Yes, yes. Oh, boy, can I relate to that? Yes, yes, yes. And I'm at the point now where I don't want to say I've taken orgasm off the table because that's absolutely not true. But (laughs) when, when I'm playing with a partner, one of the first things that I will say to any new person is, Orgasm is not the goal for me. Yep. One of my boundaries is that I need you to be okay with the fact that I may not orgasm. Mm. And if that's not okay for you, then we are not the right partners for each other. Uh, Good one. Because I need to be able to focus on the pleasure I'm actually having as opposed to the pleasure I'm not having. Yes. Yes. Oh, thank you for that. That's a huge gift you just laid on me. Like to be able to say that to a partner Mm -hmm. is really pretty amazing. Hey, friends. New in 2023, I'm teaching a full year of live online classes. Make 2023 the year you fall in love with your sex life. In fact, that's the name of this series. Fall in love with your sex life. A year of sexy secrets. 
There'll be 14 classes in total, and you're welcome to cherry pick the ones you want to attend or purchase a pass to get them all. We're going to kickstart the series with weekly classes in February, and they'll be on Sunday, February 5th, Timey Spank Me Talk Dirty to Me, Dipping Your Toes into Kink, on Sunday, February 12th, How Can I Enjoy Sex If I Hate My Body, Sex and Body Image, on Sunday, February 19th, Wanting to Want Sex, Diving into Libido and Desire. And on Sunday, February 26th, I'm a feminist. Why do I want to be spanked? Then, beginning in March, we'll move to one class a month, the final Sunday of each month. And all classes are at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Classes are recorded, so everyone who registers will get a copy, whether you're able to attend in person or not. You're welcome to send questions in advance if you know you can't be there, and I'll make sure to answer them on the recording. Each class is scheduled for 90 minutes, and I'll stay on the line with the recording running for up to another half hour to make sure we cover as many questions as possible. In the first class, Tiny Spank Me Talk Dirty to Me, we'll break down the four letters, B-D-S-M, because they actually cover a ton of territory, as well as types of kink that may not fall under the umbrella of BDSM. Then we'll talk about the foundational pieces of getting involved in kink and how to stay safe, like how to talk about what you want, setting boundaries, and how do you use a safe word if you're gagged? There'll be plenty of time for questions, and there's no question that is too basic or too kinky. Registration is open now at leahcarry.com forward slash classes. You can register for just the timey spank me talk dirty to me class on February 5th, or a bundle of the February classes, or the entire series. And to sweeten the pot, Here's an offer only for podcast listeners. Use the link in the show notes to leave a review for the Good Girls Talk About Sex podcast. When it's posted, take a screenshot, send it to me, and I'll send you a coupon for $5 off a class. If you're feeling turned on by the very idea of having these conversations in a safe, supportive, non-judgmental space, Register right now while you're still juiced. It's so easy to let your sex life take a back seat. So flip the script right now while you're feeling the energy. Make sex a priority. Go to leahcarry.com forward slash classes to register. That link is in the show description of the app you're listening on now. Let's make 2023 the year you fall in love with your sex life. I'm in this really intense place right now where I'm, I have declared that I'm the only person I'm going to be having sex with for a while, Mm. which is a little, it's a little, seems a little counterintuitive because I just came out as poly, but that's okay. (laughs) No, it's just what's working for me right now. Just because you are polyamorous does not mean you have to be having polyamorous relationships and sex for that identity to be valid. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yes. Um, 
so uh, I'm really in the process of exploring that whole piece for myself about like not being goal oriented and just being with whatever pleasure I have and ha- letting that be absolutely okay and good and and I'm finding I'm having more orgasms. <laughs> yes, right? Because when you take the pressure off, you're able to actually access the experience. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I I mentioned in the beginning that I recently crossed over into menopause. I really have spent the last 10, 12 years completely locked down from my sexual being at all. And um, because of that, my spouse has lived in a sexless marriage for pretty much a sexless marriage for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, menopause was wreaking havoc on my life. All the symptoms. I had all the symptoms all the time. I was the hot flashes, the insomnia, like literally feeling crazy sometimes and foggy brain and all of that. And, you know, and then just throw COVID on there too. Why not? Mm. Sure. Mm-hmm. So this past August, I went on retreat and like my, my goal was to make friends with menopause. Mm. That's what I thought was going to happen. And that definitely did happen. But um, a whole lot more happened. <laughs> Holy <laughs> moly. Um, yeah. I'm going to pause you there because I want to hear that whole story, but I want to hear it in context. Okay. So usually I would take somebody through like the whole relationship history, but I think what I'm going to ask you to do is just sort of jump us forward to when you met your spouse. Okay. And you've said that you spent the last 10 or 12 years in a sexless marriage. Was that how you began your relationship with them? No, no. Um, So my spouse and I met. And I should also just note that we're using the word spouse because your partner has come out as non-binary. Correct. Since you were married. Correct. Yes. Thank you. Um, So my spouse and I met when I was working at the seminary they were attending. I was also in seminary. I was studying to become a a pastor. And um, when we met, they were in. In, already in a relationship, we had become really, really good friends, pretty inseparable, connected over a lot of stuff, particularly music. And uh, I realized that I was falling in love with them and freaked out because they were married. They were trying to get pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm out of <laughs> here. Um, so I, started getting really weird with them and and they were like what like what's your problem like you know we were like buddy best buddies we were always together we were always you know so finally i i finally fessed up and um i thought okay well this is good i'll just get it out on the table and then we can just move on with our lives and you know no because they turned around and looked at me and said i feel the same way and i was like great mm-hmm. now what the hell are we supposed to do <laughs> <laughs> But they're the one that went in for the kiss, not me, just just for the record. <laughs> so the way that played out is basically after realizing how we felt about each other and shortly after that conversation, their wife became pregnant. Mm. And so I just said, we got to do something here. I can't do this. So we we basically agreed to not see each other or talk to each other for two years. 
Mm. And decided that if after two years, we still felt the way we did then, that we would figure something out. Wow. Our sexual relationship was pretty fiery because it was very much stolen moments all the time. So you were having sex prior to this two-year, proposed two-year break. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And that was the other thing that was kind of killing us both. Mm-hmm. You know, ethically killing us both. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we stopped seeing each other. And literally two years to the day we said that. <laughs> wow. So you actually managed to make an agreement for two years and maintain Mm -hmm. that agreement. That's remarkable. It's remarkable also because we were in the same circle. We were still in the same circle. Like they were still saying, I was, I would see them. Wow. But wouldn't talk to them. I I dated somebody else in the process, in the middle of all that. I mean, it was. And so they had a baby with their other. Twins. Wow. Wow. So you're seeing each other, mm-hmm. sounds like fairly regularly. All the time. And how are you managing your feelings about seeing them with another person? And how are they managing seeing you with another person? The person I was dating was super terrific, great person. I am completely aware of the fact that I was dating someone because I was trying to forget them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And so, of course, that got nothing but messy. In in the midst of all this two-year separation, too, I also had a really serious accident. I had fallen off a horse and broken my pelvis in two places. So, you know, not only was I seeing them, but they were seeing me, like, hobbling around on crutches first and then a cane and, you know, having to learn how to walk again. And, mm. you know, they told me later, like, that was, like, some kind of torture for them that they couldn't be there for me or try to help take care of me or yeah yeah pretty loaded (laughs) yeah so the two years pass yep you reconnect and what happens and we say like okay let's figure out how we can try to make this okay and they basically went to their still spouse at the time and said i want to make this okay like how can we how can we they their spouse had basically said you know the kids were basically to, they had tried to work out their marriage, knew that their marriage really wasn't going to work. So it was kind of an agreement with all of us that we were going to together take care of these children Mm. and that my spouse would come and spend time with me when they could. But, you know, there's two-year-old twins, so (laughs) that's not a lot of time. (laughs) But we're still living with their, their wife. Well, could take care of the kids. And that was okay. That was that felt a whole lot better than what was happening before, right? Yeah. Behind the scenes, right? It's like, okay, here we are out in the open with all of this. And, you know, there's twins. An extra set of hands couldn't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> so you were already in a non-traditional sort of setup. Mm-hmm. This is not yeah. new to you. <laughs> that no, not really, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, but uh my spouse did a lot of uh, relief work and uh, ended up going down to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina as a chaplain. And while they were there, their 
wife wrote them a note and said, I don't think you should come home. Oh, wow. I think we need to figure something else out. So I, I picked them up at the airport and they moved in that night, wow. <laughs> basically. <laughs> and so how is your sexual relationship through all of this? Um, in the beginning, fireworks, fine. I mean, I, it was the first time that I remember desiring somebody and fantasizing about what they would do to me, not me always fantasizing about what I would do to them. Wow. Yeah. Like that was a new world for me. Yeah. Because I, I, I think also because, well, because I'm just that person, right. I'm that giving person. Right. But also I think the trauma really, you know, a trauma response is always being the one that's the in the giving position. Right. So you can be in control. And I lived there. Mm-hmm. I lived there. So it was a whole kind of new world for me to let myself receive from somebody who seemed at least to really enjoy giving to me. <laughs> oh, that was a loaded statement. <laughs> Do <you> go on. <laughs> yeah, it was, we, our sexual relationship was really good in the beginning, you know, um, and and then life happened and things got really complicated and their trauma and my trauma and it got pretty heavy pretty fast mm. and you know we got married three or four years after we moved in together and they tell me they feel like nothing was the same after that mm. do you feel that way not exactly i think that there was still i think there was still some life left in our sexual relationship after our marriage yeah um but i was also you know another thing that i observe about myself if i look back on my past relationships is that um i was much more comfortable exploring my edges with somebody that i wasn't as emotionally close with that makes a ton of sense so it was kind of like a either or for me i want to explore these edges i want to i want to go there or i want the inti- the emotional intimacy but the two together, I feel like I, I, I touched the beginnings of in my marriage before we were married. And then again, the trauma and the codependency and the, all the stuff that you, lots of people deal with in long-term relationships, right? Yeah. So I'm not going to ask you about their trauma because that would be inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I am curious about, you've mentioned a couple of times how your trauma and their trauma intersected. And so like to the best of your ability, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I I think um, to put it in a nutshell, I think we spent a lot of time triggering the hell out of each other and our triggers were probably different. My triggers very much lived in my sexuality. I think that was less true for them. Mm -hmm. So it was more true for me that when we were trying to be sexual, that I would get triggered mm-hmm. and not know how to say it or what to do about it. But I, I mean, I feel like for years, we spent years bouncing off each other's trauma and just really starting to unpack that now, actually. Yeah. So you eventually end up in this place where you're essentially in a sexless marriage. Mm-hmm. Was that in any way a conscious decision on your part? No. And they they pressed me about it. 
a lot. And I kept saying, I want to fix this. I want to make this better. And I did, but I didn't have the foggiest idea how. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know who to ask for help. Um, I was fucking thoroughly embarrassed. So I didn't talk to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and had gotten past the age of ta- when you talk to your friends about sex. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back in that age. I like that age better. <laughs> No, it's like, you know, if you don't normalize this stuff, right, then people suffer alone. Exactly. That's exactly why I do this. I know. God bless you. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, from early on in my, my sexual development, there was this rift that happened between sexuality and spirituality, right? Mm. This complete divide. And what I'm finally getting a grasp of now is there's no damn divide. They are intertwined in a way that I can't possibly take them apart anymore mm-hmm. in a beautiful, amazing way. And I'm finally like wrapping my arms around that and embracing that. And that's a, a lot of what started that like little bits of that started to happen in the beginnings of my relationship with my spouse. And then it, kind of fell apart and now i'm like i'm in it i'm embracing it a thousand percent like i am embracing my status as a mystic in every possible way (laughs) i get so many messages from listeners saying thank you for the show i've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Good Girls Talk About Sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, 
or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. So I go on this retreat so that I can make friends with menopause. And, you know, I had gotten, I was so damn locked down. I mean, so locked down. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Mm. I mean, I couldn't even look at my own eyes in the mirror. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Mm. And I hadn't always lived there at all. You know, I've been rereading old journals and stuff. And I'm reading some stuff by like past sexual relationships. I'm going, ooh, damn, girl. You did that? <laughs> you go, you know, or, and, and also reading a lot about stuff that I experienced by myself. That I was, I was reading a journal recently where I had set up a mirror and I made love to myself in front of the mirror. Wow. And wrote about it as one of my best sexual experiences. And you know what? It was. <laughs> wow. How old were you? Oh, I was in my late twenties, early thirties. Uh huh. Yeah. So I, I, I went on retreat. I went away to a place that is um, a retreat center. I used to live at actually, it feels like home. It feels comfortable, but it's also a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I happened to be the only person doing retreat that week. So I had the whole space to myself, which meant that I spent a whole lot of time outside naked which is exactly what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a plan for this retreat. I was just like, I'm just going to go and see what happens and do whatever feels like, whatever I feel like I want to do. So I was doing a lot of stuff that I didn't quite really understand. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking I was doing some serious magic up on that mountain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what? Well, you know, just being outside naked, dancing outside naked. Lots of fires, lots of kind of rituals, creating rituals that I didn't completely understand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my body had changed so much from the time I was like really sexually active to now between the accident and menopause. It was like a completely different body. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had gotten to the place of menopause, which nobody talks about. And I'm going to talk about as much as possible because people need to know so that they don't panic. Because <laughs> uh-huh. I panicked. Um, there's a point where your hormones are shifting that it's sometimes it's hard or not possible to have an orgasm. Mm-hmm. It's your body reacts similarly to like if you're getting on SSRIs, right? I had gotten to that place. So I was like, great. I've spent the last 10, 12 years not being sexual. And now I can't have an orgasm anymore. Great. Yeah. So I'm like in a Zoom call with my therapist, bawling my eyes out while I'm on retreat. Yeah. And I had been I had been masturbating, but it was very mechanical. It was like go for the release. So when the release wasn't happening either, it was like, well, this is a real fucking bummer. So I was one day in retreat, I had gone on a hike and I went to the outdoor showers. They have outdoor showers, the best thing in the whole world. And it was a really sunny day. And I walked back to my cabin completely naked and fell into bed and lit a bunch of candles and like made love to myself, Mm -hmm. like totally different feeling. Right. And like felt it, like felt it in my body, felt it in my heart. Mm -hmm. And that just like unleashed this. 
blew the cap off of whatever the hell it was I had locked down for the 12 years. And, <laughs> and, and whoa, that retreat was life-changing for me because mm. I got myself back. I got myself for the first time, mm-hmm. really. Learning a new body was kind of exciting, like having a new lover. Yeah, you know, like nothing was where it used to be. Nothing kind of worked <laughs> the way it used to be. I was like, "Whoa, who's this? Fun!" <laughs> and had no problem giving myself an orgasm, actually, because I slowed down, because I took my time, because I loved other parts of my body besides just my vulva. I was like, you know, it was amazing, and came back like, yeah. I'm friends with menopause now, no problem. Came back like completely committed to talking about what it's like to go through that process in your body because people don't talk about it or they talk about it in a way that it's like a disease, mm-hmm. you know, or it's so medicalized. But for me, embracing menopause and working through that and, and landing 100% back in my body and loving what I found there was a completely spiritual transformation Hmm. my last night i made a fire i went around the property and i collected plants and i made i made a vulva out of flowers Hmm. and then i started writing stuff that i wanted to let go of and burning it in the fire and then i started then i found myself texting women in my life and saying what do you want to let go of oh my goodness and writing them down wow and burning them and made of a, a commitment that a year a, no no more than a year's time from that time that I was going to be around a fire with those women hmm. because I was craving ritual like I wanted I wanted there to be a ritual for this transition it was actually exactly a year from the last time I had bled that I was on this retreat hmm. so so this was your actual moment where they declare menopause. Yes. The wow. actual moment of walking into wisdom years. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was, there was a full moon. I mean, there was a lot, there was a lot going on. I, I got back <laughs> and I was saying to some friends, I'm like, I, I, I don't, ex- I don't know what I did up there exactly, but <laughs> oh my God. And I, I remember I like, I wrote in my journal, I am a mystic. I am a healer. I am magic. Mm. yeah like I'm owning that now I'm totally owning that and and the other big piece that broke loose for me so what I realized was the lockdown was about my trauma yes the lockdown was also about me trying to keep caps on holy shit I'm polyamorous (laughs) because I was afraid it was gonna blow up my marriage so you come home from this massively life-changing experience yeah how do you integrate back into the sexual relationship that you have had with your spouse for the last 10 12 years i don't Mm -hmm. what does that mean i did not do a good job at re-entry so if anybody's ever been on a retreat you come out of retreat and you're kind of like if it's a powerful retreat like mine was, you kind of lit up like a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. I'm all connected in, firing on all cylinders. You know, I got the body back. I'm like, whoo. And I recognized a whole lot of patterns in my marriage that 
kept me in a more shut down place. Not because of what they did, mm-hmm. because that's how I responded. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I keep saying that out loud because I don't want this to sound like it's something they did to me. It was me. I mm-hmm. did it. But I didn't do reentry really well. So in order to kind of keep myself from getting back into codependent patterns, I threw some pretty hard, harsh blocks mm. up with them. And um, that launched us into a pretty solid month of fighting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what's really unfortunate about that is before I went on retreat, we had spent two weeks on vacation. It was the first time we had like really carved out vacation time in a really long time. We had really started to put some stuff in our bucket. And I think we were both feeling like, oh, we're going to get back there. We're going to get on this path. We're going to get back there to rebuilding all the good things in our relationship and rebuilding a sexual relationship. This is great. And I definitely did feel that, but I didn't realize still at the time how much I wasn't present, Mm. (laughs) how much of myself still wasn't present. So when I came back, the other thing was that I did not tell them right away that I had kind of come out to myself as polyamorous because we had had enough previous conversations for me to know that it was not going to end well. So I kept it to myself. And by not end well, you mean that they would not be accepting of that? Yep. Okay. Yep. So I I very much kept that to myself with them. I had four really good friends that I told pretty much right away, right away, actually one who were amazing and phenomenal and loved me up and embraced me and celebrated me. And that was exactly what I needed in that moment. But then had kind of been between, (laughs) between the writing I was doing in my journal of all my encounters with my new lover Mm-hmm. And hiding my phone because I had all the stuff of Paul Amory on my phone. Mm-hmm. They started thinking I was having an affair. So mm-hmm. I was with me. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually it came out. We were looking for a couple's therapist anyway, because mm-hmm. we had so much we had to work on before this arrived. And I luckily found somebody who has some expertise in non-monogamy. Ethical non-monogamy. So I feel like we might have a chance, but the first first couple of weeks was pretty rough. There was the immediate reaction that I expected, including give me your wedding ring back, which mm. was whew, hard. But there has since been some shifting and opening about Maybe we can make this work. If we get us back together, then maybe we can. Mm-hmm. And I hear and understand that sentiment, but I also feel like, how can we really get us back together if all of me can't be there? Mm-hmm. Like, that's where I'm really sitting right now. And is that something that you've been able to talk about in your couples therapy? Um. That's this week. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I know all of this is really, really new. It's, and you know, so our last couple session was a therapist saying, you know, can you try to help them understand 
because that kept, what I kept hearing back is, how do you know? You've never mm-hmm. been, how do you know? And it's like, I know, like if I look back on patterns in my relationships, like the number of really close intimate connections I let go of because they also contained a sexual spark and I didn't know how to handle that or deal with it or to talk about it or address it. Or I, I've let go of so many beautiful, amazing people in my life that if I had understood my relationship structure differently, would have at least given me the opportunity to explore what that might look like mm-hmm. if I'd had that freedom. So I'm I'm kind of not waiting to explore it. I'm kind of like really looking at all my connections right now in my life, the people closest in and, and thinking about what do I feel about that or what do I want out of that? And for some people, I'm able to have some really honest conversations, like they're able to go there with me, mm-hmm. which is pretty remarkable. Like, yeah. and giving me an amazing opportunity to practice saying what I need and what I want, something I never knew how to do because I didn't even have access to it. I didn't even know what the yeah. hell I wanted. Yeah. I didn't know what I desired. I had no friggin' clue. So, you're using the word polyamory and that word can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So yep. what does it mean for you? For me, it means uh, a capacity to love more than one person very deeply, to have intimate relationship with more than one person. Will that always look sexual? No, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, but might it? Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't say yeah. You know, like that's the other thing. Like they want there there's a request to have a blanket statement that it won't be sexual with anybody else. And I'm like, I can't do that because I don't know who I'm gonna meet. I don't know what's gonna be there. Mm-hmm. And to not buy into this kind of prioritizing one relationship over another. Like that box, that monogamy box for me feels very much like it's invading. And my freedom, like it's it, it's put there by the patriarchy. Let's face it. It was monogamy was created and put there by the patriarchy to control women, period, mm-hmm. end of sentence. That's where it lives for me. A very good friend recently turned me on to this term, relationship anarchy. Mm-hmm. You heard this? Yeah. I'm loving this. <laughs> so what does that mean to you? Um, so it's the whole concept of basically not buying into the box of monogamy and like just completely blowing up all the kind of the rules about what a romantic relationship should look like or who you should be doing what with or who you should be sharing what with. I'm just kind of at the beginnings of like learning about all this, but it feels right. Like it feels like, I feel like since I've allowed myself to embrace that label, I am able to like experience more love and let more love in than I feel like I ever have in my life. Mm On a regular basis, my friends are saying things to me that have brought me to literally brought me to tears because I'm able to like let it in. Yeah. Like I'm a better person. I'm a better pastor because I feel like there's no like box around my heart. Like it can Mm -hmm. just flow. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm having deeper connections with people who I've had close up in my life. Some of them for a long time. And I feel like the doors are being blown open for what I can imagine our relationships to be. Hmm. 
and that just feels really good. Yeah. Um, I just want to talk for a second about relationship anarchy. Um, and another term that you may be familiar with, non-hierarchical yes. polyamory. For people who are not familiar with these terms, there's hierarchical polyamory, which suggests that you have a primary partner, which is often um, the person you live with, which in these communities would be called your nesting partner. And then you, if you have other connections or other relationships with people other than your primary partner, they would fall into these sort of secondary or tertiary roles. So there's very much a hierarchical structure. Your primary partner is the one who you make, you prioritize in all things. And then your secondary partner, you prioritize behind your primary and then your tertiary, like it. it, And for some people that really works. And then there are other people for whom that feels really shitty. And so they practice non-hierarchical polyamory, which means that every relationship exists in its own capsule and no relationship is more important than any other. And even these people may have a nesting partner, may be married, but they don't consider that relationship any more, quote unquote, important than any other one. Yes. Relationship anarchy is a version of non-hierarchical. <laughs> this all gets very, like, there are so many I words. Know, right? Oh my God. Tell me about it. <laughs> so relationship anarchy is this idea that you could have all sorts of different kinds of relationship structures with all sorts of different people. So for instance, um, the, for me, the easiest thing to think about is I have a friend who identifies as a relationship anarchist and non-binary. Um, they have many partners, some of whom are sexual, some of whom are completely platonic, some of whom are um, primarily emotional partners, some of whom are primarily the people they hang out with for like the really fun stuff. Like they have lots of different people who fill lots of different roles in their lives. And they consider each of these people to be so important to them that yeah. they consider them a partner. Yep. So I'm, I'm not necessarily saying all of this for your benefit because you're living <laughs> all of this. But I think those terms can be incredibly confusing yeah. when you're first sort of contacting this whole world. And I'll say that I feel like very much where I'm going to land is non-hierarchical. That's what it feels like to me right now. Mm-hmm. That's what feels right in my body when I think about it. But yeah, I get questions. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, can we just talk about scheduling for a minute? Like, oh my, my God. life is so fucking busy already. It's like, I take Google care of a of people. I, know, I, need, I, need, I need somebody I'm in a relationship with to have like skills in the calendar department. <laughs> Do you stop yourself from initiating cuddles or kisses because you're afraid it will automatically lead to sex that you don't really want? You are not alone. I've heard it from countless women. 
How would it feel to know that you could kiss or touch or cuddle your partner and also know that there is no expectation of sex? That you could get to set the pace and call the shots? With one client recently, I've been workshopping how she can tell her partner that she wants to be able to interact with him without it automatically becoming sex. In the middle of our conversation, her eyes got wide and she said, Oh, wow, he's not the one who expects it to turn into sex. I do. I think it's what I'm supposed to do, so I'm the one who keeps driving us there. I've been blaming all of this on him, but maybe it's not actually his fault. The conversation she wanted to have with him suddenly changed. As we gamed out the words she now wanted to say, I asked her how she was feeling about talking with him. And while before she had said she was completely terrified, now she said she was feeling excited about the possibilities. This is the kind of shift that's possible when you have a guide who can see the bigger picture and help you navigate the self-sabotage your brain has created, believing it was keeping you safe. I would be so honored to be your guide on this path. I am queer, kinky, and non-monogamy friendly. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching, and we can find out if we're a good fit. Again, book your free discovery call at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching, and that link is in the episode description on the app you're listening in now. Back to the show. So I got that going on and I'm like really trying to work on my trauma stuff myself, work on this path. But um, this whole marriage for me of the spiritual and the sexual has really erupted for me in having these very visceral experiences of making love to myself and experiencing, for lack of a better word, God there with me. Mm. And God for me is gendered female, although she, they pronouns for God for me. (laughs) And so really embracing that. So I don't even call it making love to myself anymore. I call it worshiping at the temple. Mm. That's my euphemism for loving my body. And I've had some really mystical experiences. I am reading the mystics a lot these days. (laughs) Lots of mystical poetry in my life right now. Yeah, Um, I'm writing mystical poetry in my life right now. So. If you look, I don't want to go too far. If you look two years into the future, what do you hope, like in terms of your spouse and other relationships? And what do you hope that your sexual and relational landscape will look? If I could have everything I wanted, Mm -hmm. I would still be married. To your current spouse. To my spouse. I would still be married to my spouse. Mm -hmm. And that I would have worked through enough of this trauma to feel like I could attempt to have somebody other than myself as a lover. (laughs) (laughs) So you would have potentially an active sex life with your spouse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was very tentative the way that you just said that. Okay, go on. It's because it's just really hard right now. It's yeah. just very, it's really loaded right now. Sure. Because right? they have a lot of feelings about the fact that I haven't 
we haven't been sexual in 12 years. And now I'm like, sorry, only having sex with myself. Mm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's fucking human to have that reaction, right? Are the two of you still living together? Yeah, we are. And are you still sleeping in the same bed? I've set up a temporary bed because it's right now we're not sleeping in the same bed together. I mean, and it's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. Even just like my hot flashes have really subsided, but I was, you know, a million times a night I was throwing off covers and all of that. So really disturbing to sleep, but also because I need a space to be able to explore whatever's going on in my body whenever it crops up. And I don't get much time alone in the house, like yeah. none. And one of the things that has emerged for me is like getting my voice back. I have a very favorite toy that has. <laughs> What's your favorite toy? <laughs> um, I'm sure you must have heard of the Satisfier. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I love this thing. Um, it, which is interesting because that is an external toy and does not have a penetrative aspect to it. Yep. Duly noted. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm starting to explore there too, but I've always been the kind of person that direct stimulation is too much. Mm-hmm. So that's although the other reason why this really works well for me. And unexpected surprise of this thing is... I cannot be quiet if my life depended on it. <laughs> it is a shut the windows situation. Let me just tell you. So very surprised by that because I've always been really like locked down and quiet. Right. And I think part of that was also because I had these fantasies going on in my head and I was like, oh, I can't let that slip. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't let that slip. Yeah. So I'm really like needing a private space so that I can, I'm like really consciously working on letting myself say out loud what I want, say out loud my fantasies and feel it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so no, we're not sharing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I just totally took us off track. The The question was, where do you see, where, what would you like to see in two years? So, <laughs> so we've yeah, got that piece. <laughs> the, the satisfier tends to take you off track. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And um, exploring and uh, another relationship Mm -hmm. that's kind of emerging right now. Mm. I see four of us (laughs) connected and supporting each other and having a life together, which sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but it feels right. When you say you see four of us, what does that mean? I see myself with my spouse and I see this other person with their spouse. Okay. So are you currently developing a relationship with another couple or with one member of a couple? It is emerging a connection with one member of another couple. Okay. And they are in a relationship situation where they can be a little bit more open about what's going on for them. Mm -hmm. So they are also in the kind of, uh, exploration phase of polyamory, let's just say, or mm-hmm. discovery phase of that. Mostly they're just really amazing friend. Mm, good. This is a moment when you need that. So much. Yeah. So, so much. But I would be lying if I wouldn't say that there was, there's definitely more emerging there. <laughs> um. <laughs> so what questions do you have right now? And I'm sure you have a multitude of them, (laughs) but 
What questions do you have about sex, sexuality, monogamy, polyamory, all of that? Um, I mean, I think the big thing, I mean, certainly there's a lot of questions about like the nuts and bolts of polyamory. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't joking when I was like, okay, how the hell do you do a calendar for this? Yeah. Like, how do you negotiate? Because one of the things that's emerging in this new connection is like, like, we just freaking want time together, but we feel like we can't ask for it because, mm. because we can't kind of be open about what's going on for us. So yeah, like nuts and bolts would be great. Like, okay, polysecure and ethical slut. Great. Can somebody write a book about the nuts and bolts of <laughs> figuring out polyamory? Like I need that book. Yeah. And I've read some stuff online, but how do you transition from a 15 year monogamous marriage? That's a big ask. That's a big fucking ask for anybody, mm-hmm. especially when the relationship is already in a hard space. Mm-hmm. Like if, if it was secure, then it might be a little more wiggle room. Right. But mm-hmm. ooh, yeah, that's a big ask. And I think not so much questions, but just like really wanting to remain committed to myself to try to heal some of this trauma. So I have full access to access to the full menu of pleasure <laughs> that I could possibly have. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I recently had experience of triggering myself, mm. which I was like, Oh damn girl, you really need help. That's what, <laughs> that's what it locked in for me. I was like, I need, I need to work with a body worker. I really need to work with somebody. Cause I don't know how many people have that experience, but I, woo, yeah, I was trying to do some work around penetration and I had bought years ago when I was first starting work on my trauma, a rose quartz wand mm-hmm. to use to do penetration, to try to like shift some energy, release some triggers. And I was using it the other day and I just triggered the hell out of myself because it's hard. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I went and bought a dildo for the first time in Good. I don't know how two decades. <laughs> Good. Because that's something that is made for that purpose. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm kind of laughing at myself because remember I said that this isn't the same body. So I was I think I got a little over ambitious with what I bought. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have to work up to it. But that's okay. Um, yeah. And so just remaining committed to that healing. Because I really, I really want to be free. Mm. Yeah. I really want to be free. I really want to have the experience of totally being able to surrender to pleasure and not be on guard for this trigger or that trigger or 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 if it happens to at least be able to deal with it and stay in the moment with the person I'm with and not go away not vanish myself and not abandon myself i want that for you oh Oof. i think so like i said earlier my coping mechanism of choice is uh <laughs> is dissociation and it absolutely still happens. I am not going to pretend in any way that I am like magically healed or any of that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But a skill that I have been working on developing over the last five years that has been incredibly helpful for me is learning how to say, I need to take a pause. Yep. I need to take a break. I need to take a breath. And the important piece of that is being able to say that to a person before we begin play so that they don't take it personally and think, oh, I'm doing something wrong when it happens. Yep. Yep. Um, And when told in advance, I have found people to be incredibly understanding and supportive of that. The hard part is being able to recognize in the moment, oh, I'm I'm going there. I need to pull myself back enough to use my words and say, I need a breath. I need a breath. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and that's so I'm practicing with myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, hell, if I can trigger myself, then I can practice like (laughs) right. I can practice responding to that in a, in a positive way mm-hmm. and laying the boundaries that I need to lay right now to feel safe and all, but also asking for what I need. Like, you know, in this, this new connection, I crave physical closeness and that's okay. And I want to give myself that and let that be okay. Mm. And I, I, for a long time, I even just, I couldn't even let myself go there. Mm-hmm. You know, because it wasn't okay to be like that with anybody but the person you're married to. Yeah. Right. It wasn't okay to want to hold hands with somebody else. It wasn't okay to want to cuddle with somebody else. It isn't okay to fantasize about anybody else, even. You know, it's yeah. like all of those things that you do to yourself, especially when you're brought up Roman Catholic, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, like giving the other person the opportunity and the space to say what they need and want, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the more I can do that for myself, the more I'm giving the people in my inner circle or the people I'm in intimate relationship with the permission to do the same. Mm-hmm. And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. What's the approximate number of sex partners you've had? Ooh, upwards of 25. How old were you when you began masturbating? Seven or eight. Uh, We already talked about your favorite sex toy, the Satisfier, which I will put a link to in the um, show notes. It is, for those who are familiar with this term, a clit sucker toy. What's your favorite sex position? It's been a while, but anything related to oral sex is good for me. Okay. Um, do you prefer to initiate or for your partner to initiate in the bedroom? I prefer to initiate. Are you generally more active or more passive during lovemaking? Hmm. I can tell you what I used to be. Mm-hmm. I, I think I was more active again, because I think I was like, I need to be in control to feel safe. Mm-hmm. I would like to strike some balance with that. Mm. That's my goal. (laughs) Do you prefer clit stimulation or penetration? (laughs) Clit stimulation. Thank you. Yeah. Although I'm working on that too. (laughs) Yeah. Do you enjoy having your breasts played with? 
you know, before, no. And I am like, I'm vibing on these babies right now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm wearing low cut stuff so that I can see my own cleavage because it turns me on. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think it's generally easy or challenging for you to orgasm? Mm. That's shifted too. Mm-hmm. Since menopause, I have to use a lot more stimulation, but I can still have an orgasm. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of touch do you enjoy most? I'm definitely a sensual touch kind of person. Like a favorite toy would be a feather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your hard red lines? Things you would say absolute no to? I think bondage. Mm-hmm. I think that would be loaded for me. How do you feel about porn? Some of it could be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really I'm really like down with ethical porn. Yeah. Like, but other stuff, it doesn't feel okay. Yeah. You know. So among the ethical porn producers, what's the type of porn you most enjoy watching? Interesting. Wow, I've never said this out loud. I actually enjoy watching men make love to themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because it, it's the most opposite of my own experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like you know It's actually, you- it's incredibly common for people to watch types of porn that they are not actually looking for in their own bedrooms. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Although I have to say, the biggest turn on in the whole fucking world is watching one make love to herself mm. like to me there is nothing more beautiful in the whole wide world do you have hair down there or are you bare <laughs> i have hair down there i'm italian i'm hairy <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had a threesome or more twice <laughs> do you enjoy giving oral sex yes do you enjoy receiving oral sex definitely <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever worry about your smell or taste? No. In fact, I'm really vibing on that these days, too. <laughs> I mean, when I tell you I went on retreat and fell in love with myself, I kind of wasn't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about ass play? Hmm. Not something I've explored a lot, but could be open to exploring. Sure. What do you consider the quote unquote kinkiest thing you enjoy with the understanding that everybody's idea of what is kink is completely different? <laughs> oh, uh, hmm. I don't know that I have an answer to that question yet. I don't think I'm there yet, Leah. All right. Talk to me. We'll do the follow up one. Talk to me okay. then. Cool. Okay. <laughs> do you enjoy dirty talk? Yes. What is your favorite part of your body? I never thought I'd have this problem, but I'm thinking of a lot of different parts right now. (laughs) Wow. I'm really vibing on my breasts right now. I don't know why, but I um, am. I told you earlier in the interview that I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. So like in the last two months, I've gone from not being able to look at myself in the mirror to being to look at myself in the mirror and going, hmm. That looks pretty good to, hmm, ooh, I look like a goddess too. Mm. I am a goddess. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. 
pretty amazing. What belief did you have about sex as a child or teenager that you wish you could go back and correct her on now? Mm. That it was only about procreation, that it's about pleasure and that is your birthright. And especially as a girl, as a young woman, to know that there is so much power in your own sexual expression. And for me, that there's spirit there too. There's God there. Mm, Yeah. Sophia, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been such a pleasure. It's been so great. Thank you so much. This has been really great for me because it's given me a place to kind of say a bunch of stuff that I couldn't say anyplace else. So thank you for being my confessional. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for today. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As a sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. If you have questions or comments about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Full show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. And you can follow me at goodgirlstalk on the socials for more sex-positive content. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls. While listening to this show is free, producing it is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I'll gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>